Oh man, here we go. And we are on Facebook Live. The party is officially beginning, ladies and gentlemen. I'm so excited to have you guys here. No matter where you're watching from around the world, I hope you're safe. I hope you're healthy. I hope you're happy. I hope you've been checking in with your family and your loved ones and that you are able to um, navigate through this incredibly challenging time with a lot of optimism, with a lot of hope, and that you're there for your neighbors, that you're there for those that you care about, and even those that you don't know. Uh, I'm really excited, guys, because today is pretty much the catalyst of something that almost was something that I've always wanted to do, and that is to connect you with the most talented, the funniest, the best people that I could find literally on the entire face of the earth so that we can have very engaging, very entertaining, very positive, very hopeful, very funny uh, conversations with people. And uh, the first guest that I have tonight is one of my longtime friends. He is a funny man. He is originally from the DC area. So shout out to my fellow DMV people, even though I'm in Miami. Uh, it's my pleasure to either introduce you to or reintroduce you to the one and only Tehran Qasri. Tehran, where you at, brother? I just want to make sure everyone has washed their hands before we got on the chat. Like, are you washing your hands? Are you social distancing? I don't trust you, Iman. I don't trust you, bro. I'm serious. You're a friendly guy. Be polite last year, not this year. You understand? <laughs> No more politeness. Okay. No more politeness. Did everyone wash their hands? Or are we clean? Are we fine? I think we're good, man. We're, we've, we've been listerining and we're, we're all not listerining, actually, listerine and lysoling and everything. Yeah, I lysol. I don't even listerine. No, lysol, bro. <laughs> I drink bleach. Don't mess with me. Okay. You look great. As much as I would love for you to have a mask to cover your face, let's hear you clearly, my friend. Yes. But I appreciate you practicing all the safety hazards. It's precautions, my friend. It's all precautions. It's safety precautions and this horrible, troubling time. I don't play, bro. I don't yeah. play these games. People don't realize the coronavirus is real. They're, they're still, like, sneaking out and going to parties. Our parents did not ground us. We are not grounded. This is not you sneaking and going out with your friends and having a quick beer and sneaking back home. This is a serious illness that has, has destroyed and ravaged countries. Iran has been ravaged, like a lot of things going on in Iran. China, and, and why did it have to happen to China and Iran, the two countries whose reporting we don't trust, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> we're not going to trust whatever they say. So it's like Italy, any country, basically, except for China, any country where people kiss too much, they got crushed, bro. If you kiss and hug, you're done. What, okay? what, is, the, what is the country that kisses the least? I want to see if there's a direct Denmark. Correlation. Denmark, they don't care. Zero cases, bro. Zero. They have, but they have the hottest people on earth. But they don't care. Denmark, no one cares. Everyone says hi from far away, Farfiknugan or whatever they say. You know what I'm saying? That's Germany, man. Come on, man. That's, hey, that's my homeland. Hey, that's all. Look, all dirt Denmark and Sweden and all those places, Netherlands, they're all one country. They're Germany 2.0. Like everybody, <laughs> everybody who couldn't make it in Germany just went up there and got wider. Like that's, that's how true. that works, bro. That's true, man. But but listen, so I, I actually, I, it seems as though that you're obviously taking this thing seriously. Yeah. Uh, but it's, what, what's LA doing, man? Because I saw the mayor yesterday give some pretty stern warnings. They're not messing around either. So like the government officials are, are doing their part. Are the people doing their part or not? What's going well, on? Well, actually, it's crazy in LA. Of course, there's a quarantine. Everybody's staying inside. Essential businesses only. Uh, one of my friends, actually, the other day, 
was outside with his friends and uh, he got shot. The police actually shot them um, because they were outside. And we thought it was for the quarantine, but they just, because they were black guys with masks, so they, they didn't, the police couldn't tell. They didn't know. It wasn't about the quarantine. It's just literally a group of black guys with masks, so they got shot up. So, you know, <laughs> LA's, still, LA's still going, bro. Don't worry. Don't just worry. when I thought, just when I thought we're going to have a serious conversation, you know, that's what happened. What, listen, people basically stay home, practice, practice the, the precautionary tales. Um, it, it's easy. All you have to do is, is do Wu-Tang. Basically, if you do Wu-Tang, you will be good. So, so uh, for those who don't know, he's talking about gangster mask, you know, just in case. You know, no, no, no. I'm talking about, I'm talking about Wu-Tang. The acronym Wu-Tang, wash hands, use masks properly, oh. touch nothing, avoid large crowds, never touch your face with unclean hands, and go to the hospital if you have severe symptoms. That's Wu-Tang right there. So, so Tehran, man, like, how, how has this uh, pandemic affected you as a comedian in general? Like, uh, like, basically, you have no events, you have nothing going on. Is your only way to share your life? right now just for social media? Like imagine if this happened 30 years ago, what the hell would you do? Social media, today I went to the grocery line and you know, people have to be there. So I did like a quick 25 minutes. Like that's how it works. <laughs> I just started doing comedy in the line. Like you guys are here now, you can't go anywhere. Give a round of applause for Tehran. <laughs> it's, I mean, Instagram and it's hit, it's hit LA, I feel. It's hit LA the hardest simply because LA is the city of dreams where people yeah. come here from all across the country to live their dreams like myself and are the, see the difference between the entertainment field uh, and for example, the medical field is our lives aren't planned out. It's a crapshoot, right? It's not A to B to C to D. When you want to be a doctor, you know, you go to, you go to high school, you get good grades, you go to college, you get good grades, you go, you get into a med school, you take the MCAT, you get into a med school, then you get a residency and then you become a doctor. Well, with our lives, it's not so clear cut. So a lot of entertainers rely on, uh, rely on service jobs. Yeah. They come here, they're a prom queen in their city. And then they come here to be a hostess at IHOP. A lot of people, uh, a lot of people rely on Uber jobs, those app jobs, Uber, Lyft, driving as a side hustle as they build themselves. And even those are taken away. Yeah, and then even a person like myself, who I'm in that ground where it's like, I'm too big for the little things, quote unquote, and too big for the, uh, too little for the big things. Well, right. all my shows, and that's where I make my money, obviously, my livelihood is from yeah. these shows. All my shows have been canceled, especially March was very hard because as a fellow Iranian American, Noru's is my money. That's prime time, man. That's, That's prime, prime time. time. I triple up on Noru's. I have Noru's. I have Season of That. I have all these events, plus my regular events, plus my TV gigs, because that's when we start filming. And all of that has been way, waylaid. And I'm just so are you, are you are you back to prostitution? Back to prostitution, Iman? I never stopped, bro. Why would I? <laughs> I said we all have a side hustle. What? Yeah. <laughs> you think these corners are going to just fill themselves? No, I'm out there hustling on Hollywood Boulevard giving $10 hand jobs for butts. So don't knock the <laughs> hustle, buddy. Okay? It does What's wrong with you? Of course I have. Hey, are are you are you still able to hit up your local Jack in the Box? I know that's one of your local hometown places. What yeah. what are you doing food-wise, man? Well, actually, it's it's interesting. For those of people who know me, Iman, for example, who knows me extremely well, 
the quarantine has not actually affected my personal life and or eating habits. The at worst all. eating habit ever, man. I eat junk food. I have a bunch of Lunchables. I have Gushers. I'm good. Like, actually, I get to stay home and watch uh, television, which is like my, that's my dream. My real dream in life is not to make it. It's to make it big enough that I don't have to do anything. And that's what I'm doing now. <laughs> but my bank account and my dream aren't matching up. So I'm in a position where thankfully I'm able to do that for now. And I know there are a lot of comedians and entertainers that cannot. There are entertainers that are suffering, entertainers that are yeah. on their way to being homeless themselves. I'm about to be squatting in a couple months myself. So <laughs> just... <laughs> That's here. If anyone uh, comes close to me, I'm just gonna cough. Like, <laughs> that's it. First of all, I I can I, I will always remember a long time ago. You were like, man, I just can't wait to become famous so I can put it in my face and people's my hand in people's faces and say, don't talk to me. Don't talk to me. And I You're do just that. dying to be that arrogant celebrity. Oh, I can't listen. Already, I've been that way. This is the thing. Celebrities always change, and there's a lot of times now that I know a lot of people, Iman. A lot of people that we used to watch on TV and in movies when we were back in the D.C. area, yeah. now they're actually my friends. They're people who contact me. We hang out. They're business friends, but friends. And you realize a lot of times these same celebrities and heroes, these same celebrities and heroes, they were losers, bro. They were losers in their life. Like they finally got to where they are. And so now that's why they act that way. I've been practicing acting like this my whole life. I have been a cocky, arrogant piece of S. So I'm ready. I can't wait until my level of success yeah. matches my level of self-confidence. Yeah, I've never heard anyone say Tehran is very humble. Yeah, you've been, you've been doing great from the beginning, dude. Well, I mean, actually, that's the funny thing. People don't realize humility is my favorite quality about myself. I mean... How can you be so good looking and cool and funny and intelligent and still get so, so level-headed and grounded? You guys are lucky. I mean, you're in my presence right now. I grace you, peasants. So, so now that we're talking about your career, obviously everybody right now is kind of like in limbo. I mean, literally, one of the, one of the interesting things about this global pandemic is that it, doesn't, it didn't judge you by how rich you were, what the color of your skin, your religion. Everybody is affected. Everybody is at risk, you know? But... Going back to your career, what do you wish you had known when you started out, knowing all the road that you've gone through? And I'm very curious to know, like, what do you wish you had known? I wish I had known to buy Apple, Amazon, and Google. We started, right? And then I would have told myself to sell in January. Buy these stocks and sell in January. That's yeah. the number one thing I wish I'd known. I'll, I'll tell you honestly, uh, thing you've been there right around day one. So you've seen the progression and a lot of people think it happens overnight and it really doesn't. And I'm nowhere near to where I need to be. I have a lot of work to do and a lot to grow. And I've seen you and how you've progressed. And I'm very proud of how much work you put in because your hustle, you, anything you. anyone can say about Iman Hushman, you cannot say that he does not work hard. He's a hardworking professional. He sent me 26 uh, text messages and emails just about this <laughs> this Facebook live like I got so much information I was like you know what I think we should see other people I don't, I don't think it's working out between us <laughs> I
And I wasn't sure if you were going to make it, man. You literally made it in the last second. That's, that is extremely Tehran-like, man. That is how I do. How many times have we flown somewhere, gone somewhere, and I'm just like right the last second? That's it's like, it's like the it. worst combination. Like a German-born Iranian who actually cares about professionalism right. and punctuality and dealing with this fool right here. The black and Iranian who's like, I thought this was yesterday and I just showed up today. <laughs> Sarah, what's, what, but, do, what, do you, what do you see, like, how do you see the world in like three to four months, like given, given the state of the situation? How do you see this all playing out? Well, it's interesting. First, you brought up something that coronavirus does not care about your race, religion, color, creed, sexuality, sexual orientation, nothing. It's affected everybody. And that's actually really why everyone cares is because now you see wealthy people realizing that something that affects them, that's why they care. They didn't care about starvation. They don't care about dysentery or any, they didn't care about Flint, uh, Michigan. Flint, Michigan water. and their water. But when it's something that affects rich people, because they're usually immune to things, the wealthy, the 1%, now, now everyone has to care. And we even see that, unfortunately. And this is not political. I'm only speaking facts. With the recent bailout, it's like, hey, guys, did you... Uh, this, this pandemic has shown us a lot of things. A lot of things have come to light. Universal health care, we could afford it. We just didn't want to. Because as soon as rich people were about to be poor, we could afford bailing them out. Uh, yeah. Education system, we could have afforded it. We could afford it but we just didn't want to. All the things we thought we couldn't afford, all the jobs that thought they couldn't work from home, we realized we can do a lot of things when we put our minds to it. Now, the ramifications of coronavirus, in my opinion, this is not something that ends April 15th or 19th or even April 30th, this just was announced today. This is yeah. something where the cultural ramifications and the economic ramifications and repercussions are going to be everlasting. Right now, sure, most of us, and when we think that, thankfully, a lot of us can afford to live for one month without work. But what happens when it hits two months? What happens when you realize that 50% of Americans have less than $400 in their bank account? What happens when you realize that 3 million Americans or more actually applied for unemployment the first day that it was available because of the pandemic? What which, happens was like a, which was a record times 10. Exactly. So we're in a situation where and this isn't unheard of. The Great Depression, which we read in our history books, is a reality that happened in the 20s. In 1917, coming off World War I, 1918, the Spanish influence ravaged the, the country and the entire world. 50 million to 100 million, 100 million fatalities possible. That's a lot. Now, this is more because of globalization and, of course, all of us uh, learning that the world is small after all. And, and I don't know about patient zero i just hope that was one really good tasting bat like that better have been the best tasting bat you've ever had in your life my dude <laughs> you better still be licking your fingers because it's unfortunate that this happened but the cultural ram ramifications just simply there's a group of children right now that are in their impressionable age that are afraid to go outside or told that outside makes you sick or to stay away from elderly people and that's going to be something that sits in their psyche and it's going to it's going to perpetuate a whole generation is not going to high five or shake hands or dap elbows only. right so it's something we should be aware of i think you know you know who's actually who i really feel bad for high school seniors that like this is like their time that they could have gotten ready to enjoy all the amazing like you go to 12 years of school and this is literally the last month or two of school is what you're looking forward to. Seriously, like Just I hate it. Even graduating, walking. 
Yeah, none of that. It's you're crazy right, good. bro. What What do you think the What do you think are gonna be the lasting, the lasting ramifications of Corona? I I actually think that there's gonna be a lot of people who are gonna become even more socially awkward than they were before. Like I I cannot even walk down without like wanting to run away six feet to the left just because it's like the whole cooties joke. It used to be like a joke, like ew cooties, but literally like our visceral reaction is get the fuck away. You know, like, and, and I don't know how long, I feel like as every day continues that we live in this type of quarantine life, that's one more day added during the recovery phase where like we are continuously jaded, we're paranoid. And so for me, it's like, man, if this is going to last two, three months on this side, then on the back end, it's even going to be four, six, eight, 12 months. So I'm, I'm actually more like nobody has talked about the mental health ramifications of this, you know, happening right now. There are people who... They're, they're not handling this whole at home alone thing with no loved ones, no, nobody around them like that. That's tough, you know, and then so I'm, I'm more concerned about the, the mental health issues that are going to derive from this. But everything else is so unpredictable. And this unpredictability is the fact that makes it even more scary. And at the same time, it makes it all like how everybody's in the same boat. You know, that's that's kind of the good part, I guess. Well, it's the good and the bad. We realize that the boat is so easily rocked. It's interesting when you say great minds think alike because I have a podcast. Monster Brani has a podcast that I'm on as well. Back to school with Monster Brani. And on this this week's uh, guest is actually specifically a psychologist who is going to be talking about the psychological ramifications of the coronavirus. So oh, it's wow, interesting yeah. you just brought that up and the mental health issues that are associated with it. And recently... On the news that I was a program on on Spectrum, I, I explained that as a kid, I got in trouble in second grade for thinking everyone has cooties. And now literally everyone has cooties. So there you go, Miss Johnson. Because <laughs> on one hand, uh, honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm like, I'm glad Tom Hanks because everyone was so sad and no one even thought it was real until Tom Hanks announced it. And I'm glad Tom Hanks announced that he... America's dad. That hit home. Exactly. COVID-19, he, he was affected by the coronavirus because then people believed it. But I'm more happy that Tom Hanks got it because now they're going to find a cure. They're not going to let Tom Hanks die. You understand what I'm saying? Anyone else? <laughs> it, gave, it gave you some peace of mind. Huh? 100%. Because if it was Gucci Man, they would have been like, let that nigga die. Like, they would have never saved Gucci Man. You understand what I'm saying? But Tom Hanks, I was like, they're going to save Tom. Tom is going to be good. Try, uh, Teron, to kind of like digress a little bit, what are you curious about in life right now? Like in general, like what are the things that like when you wake up in the morning and like you just kind of are thinking about, forget about work real quick, forget about those kind of things. Like Teron, what is he curious about? Honestly, things that excite me, whether it's with other people or even if it's with a girl. Uh, I'm really into the whole spiritual aspect of the universe spirituality but not just as something for myself but the meaning of spirituality and different ideas of religion philo uh, philosophical opinions regarding god the universe our purpose our destiny legacy i'm into a lot of those kind of topics i also research the idea and the concept of success a lot so i find myself gravitating towards books that that basically quantify success, whether it's outliers or uh, rich dad, poor dad. These kind of these kind of effects is, are things that I personally find very interesting. 
So are, speaking of legacy and stuff, like I, I have become very big on this legacy thing the last couple of years. Like I just feel like finally after all these years, I found my personal purpose. And some people that I've talked to about, about the fact that I have this purpose, they kind of think that it's very like almost like selfish to have like this purpose, this whatever. Like, do you, do you feel as though that it's like, or do you ever share what your purpose and your legacy is? Like some people think that having a legacy is like being full of yourself. Like, oh, who do you think you are that you have like a legacy, you know? But I'm just like, dude, I just want to be fucking remembered. Like why go through all life and just have your life be completely, I, I would hate the idea of all the stuff that we're doing every single day to be complete waste. I want to at least leave some kind of positive mark. Do you, do you share your legacy? Now, now you live in Tehran's world. Do you understand? I've been sharing my legacy since the very beginning. The concept of self-love is my legacy. Loving yourself and that your self-love does not affect your love for others. They're not mutually exclusive. I can love you and love me. And that's one of the things that I, I when you ask, do I share the legacy? All I do is talk about this. If you actually listen to the purpose of my comedy. And the reason I chose comedy was specifically because it has the greatest reach to the most amount of people. Meaning I can, it's, it's that whole spoon, spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. I can extol a, a large idea that might offend a lot of people in a fun way that makes you smile and laugh instead. And that's the purpose of what my legacy and my destiny is, is simply hoping that everyone finds the good or the best within themselves and love their own imperfections. So what, what are like one of your major imperfections now that you bring it up? Cause you have to love it. So you should be comfortable with sharing like one or two of them. Oh, I'm a piece of shit. I'm a piece of shit. Like, listen, <laughs> well, that's you, fixable. You know how many times I, you know how many times I even think, do you know who I am? Like, and I, it's not even, it's not even in real situations. It's literally, it could be anything. It could be me. Uh, it could be me getting, walking in and someone doesn't hold the door or say thank you after I held the door. You know, when you hold the door and people walk in, like you work there, like I don't yeah. work here. I need a head nod. Give me a head nod or a thank you. I just let you in the lane. Give yeah. me a head nod or thank you. You, you call understand? them all out. Oh, I'm I'm huge about that. That's but I don't think that's a piece of shit. I feel like people should be called out for those kind of stuff. So uh, that's just yeah. keeping it real. Yeah, that's because you're a piece of shit too, Iman. You're just nicer about it. So people, <laughs> you have a much better smile. Look, look, the Iman smile. Like, hey, everybody. So that's why you're nicer than I am about it. I'm very in your face. However, I've realized as I've, remember you asked me what I would tell myself now back when I started that I know now, yeah, uh, I would, first of all, I would have started earlier. I wouldn't have allowed the ideas of society to even impress upon me any, any idea of normalcy. I had a, the concept was a lot of people, and this is why people get offended by your legacy or your desire to have a legacy or desire to have a dream or a destiny is because when people are in the bar, and you're in the bar, their job is to keep you in the bar. And if you decide you're going to leave and go do something, they're like, where are you going, man? Have another drink. Come on. Stay in the bar with me. Just stay here and do nothing with me. Don't go out there. Stay here. Oh, you're a loser. You're leaving? You're a loser. But the truth is, you're just taking those steps to become productive, right? Yeah. So people find it offensive when you find purpose, especially when they have not found theirs. Because yeah. you will never offend you will never offend another person with purpose. Greatness does not disrespect greatness. 
That's how that works. So right. you will see that frequently the people, it's one of those situations where, where people who are great, they don't ever put down other greats. They don't, they might critique them or even if they do put them down, they'll still pull them up. They'll put them down maybe like Michael Jordan because Michael Jordan's a world-class, just horrible person, right? He's but a he's, major trash talker. He's the greatest basketball player. And this isn't a conversation or a debate. There are other people that have been great, but Michael Jordan is the definition. He's the prototype, right? Yeah. That's who we look to. So when he talks about Kobe or he talks about LeBron, he only talks about them not being great in comparison to him. But he always talks about how great they are compared yeah. to everyone else. I actually was very impressed with the speech that he gave at Kobe's funeral. Like, uh, like that was yes. the first time in many years that I saw him that emotional, that raw, that honest, you know, like uh, pretty much saying that, you know, he lost his little brother, you know, and like that was that was huge. So that was great to see that part of Jordan come out. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of those things, especially, did you ever watch his Hall of Fame speech? Did you yeah. see how, Michael Jordan's Hall of Fame speech? Yeah, of I, Because I don't think people realize what happened because they might not have ever watched it. They might not have ever heard of it. But just to let everyone know, Michael Jordan gets into the NBA Hall of Fame, of course. And yeah. what he does is he invites, he invites, of course, family and friends, and it's a huge ordeal to get in. It's, it's the most packed the NBA Hall of Fame has ever been of for course. his his inauguration into the Hall of Fame. He invites uh, his his friend from high school and his their family and his high school coach. And when he's accepting the award, he's like, and this is the guy you chose to play over me, coach. This guy, this loser. Do you see this loser? You're choosing <laughs> him. Remember when you chose him over me? What yeah. a big mistake. He was you're cut the first too. two years in high school. He know? was like, you're a loser too, coach. And he went <laughs> off on his coach. And this poor guy, and if you looked at their family, they were like... <laughs> <laughs> like, why did you bring us here? It took him 20 years to get that office changed. Dilish Porbud, you know? His yeah. heart was full. But that's why, that's why I'm always a believer in this idea of success. And it's a conversation you and I, you and I have had uh, personally many times. And the idea of how small minds discuss people, average minds discuss events, but great minds discuss ideas. And the that. idea of greatness, the idea of greatness is very important to me. I, I actually love talking to people and love i don't like critic i don't like criticism but i yeah. do love critique yeah. i want to be better and that comes from a good place it just depends on that innate and anyone that's ever been offended by me obviously they didn't know where i was really coming from i come from a good place like in my heart yeah i have good intentions and anyone i've ever offended you know what Fuck you! I meant it. I meant that shit. Like if I offended you, I just want to let you know I meant it. Like if I. But there, there, there are a lot of there are a lot of people that are unfortunately they they don't because they don't know you that you kind of like get off the wrong foot from the get go, and like you kind of just lose them from the beginning. And I always like I've seen some of the stuff online, and I'm like, man, you're missing out on like on Tehran. Like you don't know him, you don't get him. They get offended so quickly not even knowing what your intentions are, but that's their loss, right? I'm unapologetically me. That's one of the things I, it's one of those things where you can make some of the people happy some of the time and all of the people happy some of the time, but you can't make all of the people happy all of the time. That's yeah. really how it works, right? So I, the one person I know I can make happy all the time is me. And my peace of mind is going to mean more to me than anyone else's comfort. And me being me, that's my... My point in life is to be as much me as I possibly can be yeah. without excuse. 
And I'm not saying you should like me. You don't have to like me. That's not the purpose of why I do what I do. You don't have to. I respect when people don't like other things. Yeah, I mean, that's there, there, there's a, the, the word authenticity has become a pretty big word in 2019, 2020. And you've been authentic before people even knew what the word authentic was. And so I feel like just now they're catching on and be like, oh, shit, I can be myself. Yeah, be yourself. Be yourself. I can be vulnerable. Oh, yeah, be vulnerable. Be it's vulnerable. Okay. Exactly. I'm yeah. vulnerable. I'm stupid. I'm I'm goofy. I'm fun. I'm intelligent. I'm educated. I'm ghetto. I'm all of these things. I don't yeah. like boxes. Boxes are meant for things and not people. Don't put me in a box. Don't don't check this. Don't tell me how I'm more black than I'm I am Persian or I'm more Persian than I am black. How about I'm just the most human being? That's what yeah. I am. That's all I want to be. What's the what's the best and worst thing about being half black, half Iranian? Though, okay, I will tell you something that annoys me more than anything that Iranian people do to me all the time. Is it this question? No, no. Actually, I respect people who ask questions. I never get mad at people who ask questions. My number one pet peeve is when Iranians ask me to speak Farsi. Like, they'll be like, eh, Tehran, Tehran, be a Farsi so bad, God. Farsi, I'm like, I'm not your pet, lady. Yeah. I'm not your dog. You know, bark, bark. I'm not. I'm not this monkey that you bought and now I'm supposed to dance. Oh! Oh! Like, that's not what I am. I hate that because I've, I've never been like, hey, hey, Harry Bobak, Harry Bobak, come here. You look like Chewbacca. Come here, come here. <laughs> Harry Bobak, come here. Speak English. Let these people see you speak English. You don't look like you should be able to speak English. Yeah. I hate that so much. And I also hate when my Farsi is pretty good. I mean... It's pretty fluent. I mean, you you read straight up Rumi and Hafez uh, poetry better than I do. So yeah. I, I read I read Farsi. I write Farsi. I uh, speak it pretty well. Do I speak it perfectly? No, but I speak it ve very well. I will speak Farsi to an Iranian person, and they, out of instinct, will respond to me in English. And it happens all the time because they can't. They still, they still can't believe it. Yeah. Exactly, and I realized that early on. Because when Iranians hear my name is Tehran, they can't even believe that. They're like, no, but what's your real name? It's like, my real name is Tehran. No, 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 but your name, your name. I'm like, it, it's Tehran. No, no, not the city, your name. Listen, 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 Babak, it's Tehran. Do you understand? Like, sometimes that streamline, which is also a strength, can also be a huge weakness. So what's the best part? The best part is being black and Persian is that I'm tall, I have hair, I'm good looking. Like, listen, I just like, I could have been genetically, I could have been. You play like, good basketball. I play basketball well. I could have been some short, fat, hairy, bald guy. I could have, like, I feel like my name had a lot to do with it. If I was named anything else, you know what I'm saying? If Hussein. I was, if I, exactly, exactly. If I was. If I was Javad, my name was Javad, bro, I could have been anywhere it could have went. Jaffa, hello everybody, I'm Jaffa. Like I could have just went. Have you, have you um, I mean, I'm pretty sure I know the answer, but I want you to speak about how you've probably like been almost like the leader of fusion Iranian blacks around the world. Like, do you notice that like throughout the years they've like 
come to you and be like, hey, man, I love how you're speaking on our behalf. Like, do you get a lot of that? Let me explain something. I don't care what anyone says. I invented black and Persian, okay? I invented Persian. <laughs> I invented black and no one was black and Persian before I was black and Persian. Are there people trying to take credit for it? Oh, no. Actually, one of the best things is there are people like Yara Shahidi, who's amazing, uh, who's black and Persian. There are other black and Persians, Billy, Billy Bodega, who's actually an artist, and Randy Jackson's daughter, who's also half black, half Persian. Uh, TJ Hushmanzade, everyone remembers hearing the last name. And That's like, a bad example, though. Yeah, because he didn't exactly speak. He, he didn't connect. There's a bad relationship with his father. I don't his, think he has with any his father, But he's still black and Persian. Um, yeah. And then, actually, it's very interesting. I had, a, I had this, I had this uh, meeting with Alan Hughes, I don't know if you know who the Hughes brothers are. They're directors. They've yeah, done Minister Society and just a lot of American classic movies, uh, yeah. modern classic movies. So I get this meeting and I'm like, oh, I thought I was going to be in. I thought I was going to make it. And Alan Hughes is like, I just want to let you know I'm black and Persian. His, his mother is actually Persian Armenian and he speaks Farsi. And he's like, uh, oh, wow. But I just want to let you know that. Before you, I never ever talked about it, but I show you in your clip to everyone, all my kids, this, that. And I'm like, that's what's up. What about this role? Can I get a role in a movie or no? Okay, cool. <laughs> still waiting for that text, huh? I'm still waiting for that text. But there, there are a lot of black and Persians, a lot of black and Persians actually. Um, Saba, who's the star of uh, Boomerang on BET. Titania, Titana Jackson, she's also black and Persian. Very good friend of mine. Speaks Farsi fluently, by the way. Oh, nice. Billy speaks Farsi fluently. My man Skits in Canada, who's a YouTube, Instagram sensation, also speaks Farsi, also black and Persian. So there are a lot of black and Persians. The question is, why don't they, uh, why don't a lot of black and Persians uh, associate with a lot of Iranians? And that's, that's the problem. What's the answer? Sometimes, sometimes Unfortunately, Iranian people can be very judgmental and not as accepting. And, and it's sometimes. unfortunate. Sometimes. No, it, it's very, not all the time. That's actually, putting it very nicely. Iranians are actually very warm, very loving people. It's yeah, however, but we're judgmental. A lot of times stuck in, stuck in their ways and very judgmental and comparing everything to themselves. Actually, one of the things that I, I fight against are... In, especially in comedy, a lot of people come up to me and tell me, Tehran, I have this joke, and it's about a Turkish guy in Iran who goes to the bank or whatever it is. And I don't like those jokes because now you're just putting this guy down for having an accent. I don't like those jokes. I, the, one of the biggest strengths of Iran is the diversity of its population. Armenians, Kurds, uh, Luris, Baluchistan, um, Assyrians, just having different different backgrounds, different Jewish, Muslim, Baha'i, Christian, having all these faiths in one place, Zoroastrian, having them all in one place and sharing one identity is the strength of, of Iran and has historically been its greatest strength. So I don't like jokes that make it their weakness. Have you ever been to Iran? I have. I went to Iran when I was a kid. I've been there twice. Uh, my family goes a lot. I don't go. As when was often, the last time? I, 20 some years ago was the last time I went. I was a kid. I went there and I remember the first time that I went, the story is actually something that went a little viral. But the concept is I was five years old. You know, my dad's 
talked about Iran. I can't wait. I'm so excited to go to Iran. And even though as a kid, I never knew if Iran was a good place or a bad place. Because when I was good, my dad would be like, Tehran, I got gig for If you know Iran. Like it was like a reward. If you do something good, I'll take you to Iran. And then if I did something bad, my my dad would be like, Tehran, Iran. It's like, whoa, is this a punishment or a reward, bro? How does it work? I get to Iran, I'm five years old, I see my aunts, my uh, my Amis and my Amu, my uncles for the first time. I'm just, it's so, so crazy, it's it's so loud, it's so energetic. And then they bring the sheep and you know, I'm five years old, I've never seen a sheep this close. I'm I'm from a city, I'm like, eh, bye-bye, bye-bye. And as soon as I get close, my uncle is like, Ted, I'll be love you, he cuts the sheep's head. And I'm like traumatized for life, like, Bro, I'm five years old. Can we can we save the Conan the Barbarian until I'm ten? Can we wait to decapitate the sheep until I'm ten years old? And a little you too young for that. Feed it to me for breakfast. I'm not eating calipache, bro. Like that's not my cup of tea. You understand? It's not my cup of tea. Do Do you have any desire to to go back, go to Iran, and just kind of like see what's up over there? Obviously, I know the situation is crap right now, but in general, like. If things get a little better, like, do, are you interested in even going back? Or does not make any difference? I wouldn't say the situation is crap. I would definitely say it's crappy. And unfortunately, uh, it's not the best that it could be. And I hope it gets much, much better, especially with coronavirus. And of course, with all the politics that surrounds Iran, I was in the Middle East this entire summer. So I was in the Middle East for about three and a half months for tours, uh, different tours. And I was so close to Iran. And oftentimes you fly over Iran. And I remember just seeing my name, Tehran, on the screen. And I'm just like, uh, there's a longing to reconnect and to connect with people from my father's home country and yeah. half of my home. So there is this longing to go back. But when I was in the Middle East and my Bubba was there, my family was actually there. And he was like, you can come visit. Just know it's going to cost us like a million dollars. Maybe. Because... It's so funny to me when people are like, don't bury Ted on Budo, gear behit Namidan. Come. It's going to be the most fun. Come, trust me. They won't do anything. And I'm like, so if they stop me at the border for being on TV and all this stuff, I'm going to just be like, wait, wait, wait. Amir DM'd me and said it's going to be fine. So can you just talk to Amir? He told me <laughs> it's fine. So can you, no, you don't know Amir? Oh, okay. Thank you. I'll just go. I'll go to Evin. Thank you. I'll just go to the jail. Like, <laughs> Just because of everything that's going on, you unfortunately in my of position, course. I don't know. Of I don't know what would happen. I don't think that there would be a problem, but you just never know. And why risk it? Throughout your entire career, leading up to all of this now, obviously everything is on halt right now for a lot of people. But you know, I've I've seen your career grow throughout the years. Um, who do you want to give a shout out to? Who's like who really like uh, helped you? Brought you under the wings. And because, you know, we can't do it alone, right? Every, everybody who gets anywhere up to the mountaintop or even to the middle of the mountain, it's because somebody has reached down and said, hey, man, brother, I got you. Sister, I got you. Uh, right now, if there's somebody or a couple of people that you want to give a shout out to, who would it be and why? There are a lot of people that I've actually who have helped me along the way. A lot of people that you know, a lot of people that you've heard of and a lot of people that you don't know. And honestly, Iman, you would be one of those people that I would thank you and everything we did together when we were doing joint events. And on top of that, you inspired me to go for it. In fact, we did this big event for you, something that every other television station 
Persian TV station has taken the idea, but you did it first, star musician. If I'm yeah. and you had me host, and it was in yeah. Los Angeles, and it was when I was flying back and forth. You had the perfect hair going on. It was exactly. a great night, man. It was a great night. But I would thank you. I would also thank other people in the DMV area, Radio Javon. I remember working with Radio Javon early on and giving me a platform. Tapish put me on early. I would also thank uh, Arshia, who's in VA. He's doing a lot of things. All these people who were doing things. Masood A. I would thank Masood. Masood was running clubs and made me feel like a star when I wasn't anyone but a, a star in my own mind. And then I would have to take the step up and also thank Maz Jabrani, who takes me on tour, Max Amini, who was the first person to put me on stage and also takes me under his wing, Finesse Mitchell. I would have to thank Dave Chappelle. Dave has been very instrumental for me and with me and telling others like I could be the next Dave Chappelle. These are guys who, Dane Cook, Dane Cook, who's someone I used to watch his specials, even though I don't really watch comedy specials. He put me in a movie recently. Uh, Seth Green, Mo Ahbat, who's an Afghan actor here who put me in a movie. A lot of people have, Jamie Masada at the Laugh Factory, They've a lot of things that I've gotten opportunities, I've worked hard for them, but at the same time, if people didn't allow me or open the door for me, if Jamie Masada hasn't given me uh, the opportunity to be at the Laugh Factory, which is the biggest comedy club in the entire world, I don't know where I would be right now. I wouldn't be able, I wouldn't be able to stay in L.A., that's for sure. Christina Shams for being there. There are a lot of different oh, people. Oh, Christina. Exactly. Christina, who at the time was working at the Laugh Factory and is the one who got me the audience with Jamie to begin with. I mean, a lot of people. Nice. And then I'd have to go further and thank Fox, Take Part Live, Comedy Central, and all these guys. But at that point, that was an opportunity. Those were business arrangements. But without those business arrangements, my career wouldn't further either. And, and upcoming with Netflix and Amazon. So I thank everybody. I'm going to be thankful. But ultimately, And, and, and you didn't even day, thank God. And, you're, and come on, man. No, here's the thing. Everyone, here, here's the funny thing. When you watch a celebrity win an award, like the yeah. Academy Award, you know they always remember to thank God and their parents. Yeah. You know why they always mess up everyone else's name? Because in their minds, they don't need to thank anyone. They would have already, they would have been there no matter what. It's them yeah. that got them there. The names of the people, the agents, the managers are all interchangeable. If it wasn't Mike, it would have been Tom. If it wasn't Tom, it would have been Karen. If it wasn't yeah. Karen, it would have been Joe. Whoever it is, all these people are interchangeable. It's just them that they really want to thank. So I want to thank myself most of all for taking <laughs> risks when people told me not to, for unapologetically being myself, being in a position where I used to get in trouble with my parents. My bubba and my mom would be like, you can't just act like this all the time. You can't always be yourself. And I'd be like, one day they're going to pay me to be me. And now they really are. They're literally paying me to be me. That, that, that's why you and Snoop Dogg get together, get, get to connect very much. Because that was his to, Hall of Fame. <laughs> I would have to thank Snoop. If you know, uh, if you have seen, I put Snoop in Snoop Dogg. In Persian videos. Two, two Persian songs. Yeah, yeah. With and all and stuff. Yeah. I connect it. I bring, I bring that flavor to the Iranian culture. I take Florma Sabzi to the hood. That's who I am. I'm the bridge. I 
want to be known that when you're talking about legacy. I and he brings Sabzi to yours, people. so it works out nicely. He brings too much Sabzi, bro. <laughs> like, honestly, when you hang out with Snoop yeah. and you're in the, in the room, I have to walk outside before I get a contact high. I don't drink. <laughs> I don't smoke. I don't do drugs. But you feel like, I don't know what he's smoking. <laughs> that that is like specialized marijuana of marijuana. I just I just need to I just need you to promise me right here that we're gonna hang out with Snoop one night because I just have to do that. So you're my only connection to doing that. So make that happen. Snoop's but one not of the coolest a, people. He's one of the coolest people. I can honestly. tell. He's definitely he's Drake. Definitely Drake's one of the coolest people. Drake, when you're talking about greatness, <laughs> Snoop, Drake, all these guys, just amazing. So, so speaking of. Um, weed and alcohol and stuff what what is it about you that you never were into uh drinking or any type of drugs like what did somebody like at a young age kind of beat it into you and be like don't do this don't do that or was it just a personal choice because you're definitely like a minority as somebody who really i, I, I get it iman i'm a minority Jeez, way to break <laughs> it up bro <laughs> like i've never ever seen you even taste alcohol and stuff so like i can actually for somebody who's known you for almost 15 16 years Never have I seen you smoke or drink anything. Like what, what, why, why, what happened? Well, it's interesting. Uh, everyone always looks for a reason. And I always make up the craziest reasons when I have this conversation with people, especially for the first Tell time. Tell me one of them. And oftentimes I forget to say I'm kidding. I, oftentimes <laughs> I forget to say I'm kidding. I, I talk about, I talk about how I, when I was a kid, I found a crack pipe and I didn't know what it was and I used it. And then I was on crack like I, I say crazy things but the truth of the matter is no one beat it into me it's something that i just chose as a person you've hung out with me i'm already crazy enough i don't need to not be in full control because this is me acting the way i am when i i'm fully aware of what i'm doing you loosen up one inch of that and it's you don't know what could possibly happen like i'm clearly and on top of that, I'm the kind of person, if I do crack and I like it, I'm not going to stop. Like, I'm going to, so I just stay away from it, bro. I'm just not. Is, is, there, is there somebody that uh, you constantly hear saying, you're just like blah, blah, blah. Is there somebody in your family, parents, grandparents, aunt, uncle, that you kind of like, not emulated, but, you know, there's some similarity. Where'd you get your character and personality from? It's so funny. No, I never hear that because if you know my family and my family members, they're all so everything. Remember how you said humble? They're humble. They're kind. They're sweet. They're quiet. They're just the most chill. My they're Maslum. They're just the easy. Like they're the opposite of me. They, these poor people have put up with me and my extra, my drama, and my everything. And I'm not like a dramatic person, but I'm extra. Meaning, I just find everything funny, and I just have. I, I do these big things, you know, I, I came into the show with a gas mask, bro. That's so basically you now. were adopted. I was extremely, I, you know, I wish I was adopted and then I could go with Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt's family. You know, <laughs> the worst thing my dad did was actually keep me like he, they kept me like, had they let me go, I would have been a rapper right now. You know what I'm saying? I would have been in the NBA. I don't know. When but was my the, dad loved what, me, what, me love. what was your last? hourly job wow you know it's interesting i've never had a true hourly job the last, i believe that actually the last hourly job that i had for for a week or two weeks for a very short time i used to work at this hair salon at tyson's too because i liked a girl that worked there and, and that was well, that was the closest 
closest like, hourly like, job. Like high school? No, no. When I was, it was out of high school, my first year of college. Like my first year of college for, for like a couple weeks. I've never what had, had a hourly job. You like cleaning your hair? No, no. I was the front desk girl. I was the front desk girl. With <laughs> you her. were we the were, front desk girl. I was the front desk girl. You I was must the have been feeling girl. her. My goodness yeah, gracious. I was, it was a girl that I that that I liked, and so I worked at this at the salon, and it became it was crazy because then I I met another girl there that I ended up liking. It was this just like I've never worked a regular job. I've never done a nine to five, and I'm not. I've always thought it was actually extremely noble and hard work for the people that do follow that path. I a lot of people knock that path, and I'm like, no, that's just as difficult as not doing a nine to five. It's just not as it's not as difficult to define. Because when I explain what I do, a lot of people just think I get on stage for 15, 20, 30 or minutes or an hour every night and that's it. But that's not how the creative process works. I'm constantly working. There is no nine to five for me. I don't check in and check out. I'm always yeah. thinking. I'm always on. Yeah, you're I'm you're your own business of one. Exactly. I'm my own business and that's how I feel. I'm, I own... I own a McDonald's, except I'm the cashier lady. I'm the manager. I'm the uh, drive-through. The sandwich maker. Guy that messes it up. Exactly. I'm the cook. I'm I'm the chef. I'm all these things in one. Marketing everything, and so I try to do this stuff. Uh, I try to take it as seriously as possible. So, so since you're telling me that your last hourly job was a very short-lived haircuttery when you were like probably 18 years old. Um, that means that for the longest time, you've been on this path of comedy. Um, between your Persian side and your mom's side, which one You can was... say black. It's okay to say black. You can say black. <laughs> like, which one was, was pulling you away from this path more? Was it the Persian side that was like, dude, don't go down this route? Or was it both sides and, and you just kind of like were stubborn? You kind of stuck with it? So I wasn't on the path to comedy, but I was always on this path of what I would think of as greatness or showmanship in some way. I wanted to do more, right? Whatever it was. My parents were very supportive, except they didn't know how to support. So when Persian parents tell you to go be a doctor, lawyer, engineer, uh, or whatever they tell you, it's because they want the, what's best for you. And they only know that as defined by what they know is best. That's it. So they're not pressing it upon you because they think it's good for them. It's because they honestly think it's good for you. And Persian parents can be very strict, and that's why there aren't as many Persian entertainers as, they are, as there are jokesters in the Persian community. Yeah. However, I want to remind everyone how important it is for entertainment. Whenever you say, oh, look at them, they're showing uh, Iranians in a bad light, or they're making stereotypes about Iranians, it's because there's not enough Iranians in entertainment or writing movies or creating content to help further the culture, push the culture and the art. So people like myself who honestly make that Iranian culture cool, I make it mainstream. I, I'm out there. I have rappers using words like June. I have, I have all these uh, uh, Taiga saying things like uh, Persian girls that are like in their raps. All these influences that I've directly, because of inter, inter, introducing them to Persian culture, taking NBA players, I took them to Shamshidi in, in Westwood, and I <laughs> took a bunch of rappers one time to Atari in, in, uh, in Westwood. And when I was in D.C., 